You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. So for most of my life, I have been spending at least one week of every summer at a summer camp in Washington, North Carolina, about two and a half hours north of here. Uh, as a kid, I would go up and I would spend, I'd spend a week up as a camper. And I mean, as, as young as I could possibly go as a camper, I would go and learn about God and make a lot of friends and had a lot of good memories there. And then as an adult, I started going back to that camp and serving on staff. And I've done virtually every role you could have on staff. Uh, I was there last past week with a group of elementary school students, a couple of them right here on the front row hanging out with us today, and had, had a blast with those guys. And we talked about just very basic concepts about God. In fact, I want to give you the whole message for the whole week. I was the speaker for the week, and I can do it in a couple words. It was this, when God makes it, it's good. That was basically, we reiterated that in so many different ways, but when God makes it, it's good. And he made you, and he made me, and he's got a plan for your life, and all those kind of things. Well, this coming week on, uh, on Sunday, actually today, I'm leaving, uh, to, I'm going to another week again. It's our second week in a row, uh, which is a little bit insane. Uh, but this time it's going to be with high school students. Uh, the story that Aaron just told was uh, from a camp up in Virginia, Camp Rudolph. And then uh, actually this, this Sunday we'll all be going down to uh, Roanoke Christian Service Camp. The reason I tell that story is because the moment that Aaron shared about the campfire is actually probably one of my favorite moments of summer camp. I mean, we do a lot of really important things. We, we sing songs to God, and, and we have teaching about God, and there's all kinds of breakout time where the kids break into teams, and they play games, and they compete, uh, and then like half of them fall in love by Wednesday, and then by Thursday, half of them are single again. And so it's like an awesome experience. Um, but Thursday night has got to be one of my favorite things of the whole summer, because what's crazy is uh, we, we give the kids the opportunity to share just what's on their heart. What is it that God is saying in their life right now? What is he moving them to do? And, and what's really crazy is that we will spend months months and months planning for camp, all the planning, all the logistics, all the lessons, everything. But on Thursday night, some high school senior will stand up and he will speak from his heart or she will speak from her heart and they will say something more deep and more profound than any of us could have thought of in weeks and months as they just shoot, uh, just, just shoot from the hip and talk about what God's doing in their life. I love this moment and I kind of want to take you to a place real quick, if you could go there with me. It's the place around a campfire. Maybe you've been here. You're going camping with your family, maybe with some buddies uh, from college, or you've got, you're taking your kids out in the backyard and you've just lit your little fire pit, and you're sitting there, and there's something mesmerizing about the fire, isn't it? You look into it, and around a campfire, our guard is, is, is let down a little bit, isn't it? You begin to relax physically. And what typically happens, especially if there's a group of adults sitting around a campfire, is we begin to talk. We begin to say things and express ideas out of ourselves that we, we might would have not have said at, 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 at McDonald's or at Starbucks or standing in the lobby at church or at work, right? But when you're sitting on that campfire, something happens and we just begin to talk. These conversations begin to pour out of us as we stare into the flame. And, and today, we're going to step into week five of this teaching series, Conversations with Jesus. In the last four weeks, we've gone over so many different conversations and the idea is to look at conversations that Jesus had with people that we can read about in the Bible and just see the types of conversations he had and how he reacted to different situations and the type of people that he hung out with. This week, we're going to go to a conversation in the book of John. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up. It'll be in John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible today, just want to let you know we give them away for free. Every week, they're around uh, the, the room underneath about every other chair. There's also some in the back that you can have for free. Or we'll have it on the screen here behind me. But we'll be in the book of John at the very end, chapter 21. 
In John chapter 21, we find a conversation between Jesus and a guy named Peter. Now, Peter's a very important figure throughout the New Testament of the Bible. But where we find Peter at the end of the book of John is in what some scholars call uh, chapter 21 of John. Some scholars refer to that as kind of the epilogue of the book of John. Like John's kind of over. Like the action is over. Jesus has, has done his mission to come and die for the sins of mankind. He's risen from the dead and he's appeared to some people and it's over. And then there's chapter 21. I think it's because something needed to be said. The thing about what's happening here is that it falls in a line of appearances that Jesus made to people after he rose from the dead. I always want to take and step aside from the, the moment we're having when I talk about Jesus rising from the dead because I don't know if you believe that. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of you do, but maybe you're someone in the room right now who's like, yeah, I hear this stuff about Jesus dying and then raising from the dead. And I just don't know if I really grasp it because it's kind of really people don't rise from the dead. They don't like you've ever been to a funeral. They stay dead. That's what they do. Jesus rising from the dead is a huge concept. And one of the ways that we can begin to have faith that that actually happened was that Jesus began to appear to people after he rose from the dead. In fact, the Bible records over 500 different post-resurrection appearances. And one of them happens here in John chapter 21. Now, I told you this is going to be a conversation that happened around a fire. But before we get to the, the campfire, we're actually going to be with a group of guys who are about to go fishing. Okay, so we're going to pick up John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. So if you're there with me, or you can read on the screen, here we go. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven of them. And Simon says, this is Peter, I'm going to go out and go fishing. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. And so they went out, and they got in the boat, that night, they caught nothing. Or as I call that, fishing. That's always what happens to me. I never catch anything. Um, they caught nothing. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so he called out to them. He said, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they said. I'm sure they said it just like that. No. Thanks for reminding us that they hadn't caught anything. In verse 6, he says, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so I wonder if they had some debate in the boat. Like, seriously, dude on the shore tells us to throw. We've been fishing all night, dude. Fine. For whatever reason, they throw the net on the other side of the boat. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Now, Jesus was way off on the shore. And they were way in the boat. So they didn't recognize him at first until Jesus did something. Jesus performed a miracle. We've talked about miracles several times in the last few weeks. And there's really one major reason why Jesus ever did miracles. I don't know if you remember this. The main reason Jesus did miracles was not so people could catch fish. It wasn't so people who were sick could get well. It wasn't so dead people could raise from the dead. All those things were all some byproducts of Jesus' miracles. The reason Jesus did miracles typically was to prove who he was. To show the people, hey, I am who I say I am. Or in this case, I think you'll recognize my calling card. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. They pull in more fish than they can even manage. So he does this miracle, and instantly they recognize him. It's funny. Uh, Raymond Brown is a New Testament scholar. And I was reading uh, something he wrote this week about this passage. He says, in the Gospels, the disciples never catch fish without Jesus' assistance. If you know the story of Jesus, it's actually true. It's really crazy. And what's really amazing about that is these guys in the boat, many of them were professional fishermen. What do you know about professional fishermen? What are they good at? Catching fish, fishing. Yet they couldn't catch anything. 
Jesus grew up as a carpenter, as, or as I understand kind of the way the word that we kind of have come to know as carpenter, he was more like a construction worker. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't know how to fish, but he did know how to build. This doesn't necessarily mean that the disciples were bad fishermen. In fact, they probably were. They made their livelihood on it up until they started following Jesus and doing other things with their life. What it does tell me is that this, that Jesus is really good at being better at what we are good at than we are. That's something that Jesus is really good at. So he shows them, hey, it's me. He gives his calling card. They catch all the fish. So then verse 7, uh, I got to explain this. It says, the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, this is the book of John that we're reading from. And John kind of makes a bunch of cameo appearances throughout the book. And he never calls himself John. He normally calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. Which if I was going to write a book about Jesus and I was in it, that's, I might call myself that too. I'm a special guy. That's what, that's what he calls himself. So then verse 7. So the disciple who Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. That's what they call Jesus. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, because remember, they couldn't pull it into the boat, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. So here's Peter. He's in his undergarments fishing, which isn't totally crazy. It was hot. He's fishing in his bathing suit, right? And he's fishing, and he realizes that that's Jesus on the shore. And as soon as he hears that it's Jesus, he's ready to make a beeline to be with the man. So he dives into the water with his cloak wrapped around him. He's like, man, I ain't waiting for this boat to turn around. We've got to drag these fish. I'm not waiting for the sail to go up or for the oars to go out. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm swimming to Jesus. Now, on the one hand, you might think, man, Peter must really like being with Jesus, <laughs> Like, why would he go to all this effort? And, and that's true. Uh, Peter really did like being with Jesus. But a question that kind of underlies in this text is this. Why was Peter so anxious to get out of that boat and get to Jesus? Well, there's a reason. Several weeks earlier, the night before Jesus was arrested and eventually crucified, Peter was at a meal with Jesus and a bunch of Jesus' closest followers, his disciples. And as they're sharing that meal, Jesus looks up at Peter and he says, Peter, you know, before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Now, Peter, who had been the boldest of the disciples, looks at Jesus and says, no way. I would, I would never deny you, Jesus. Jesus basically is kind of like, well, just wait and see. Well, as the night progresses, later Jesus is arrested. His disciples, because Jesus is arrested, he's their leader. They scatter because they're like, oh no, Jesus has been arrested. We're not really sure exactly why, but you know that you're guilty by association if your boss gets arrested. So they all scatter everywhere. Peter doesn't know what to do with himself. So he goes and he goes to the place where Jesus had been taken. He couldn't get in the building. And outside the building, we find our first campfire. There's a fire and it's burning outside the building. Peter doesn't know what to do with himself. Earlier that night, he had been so bold. He had been so bold. They'd been praying with Jesus. In fact, some, some people had come to arrest Jesus. And when they did, Peter pulled out a knife and attacks an armed soldier. He's like, no, this is my, my leader. This is my Lord. You can't have him. But after Jesus got arrested, Peter started to lose his nerve. And I wonder if he was thinking, oh, man, what if I put all my eggs in the wrong basket? Like, what if this whole Jesus thing is just a... A big mistake. I, I don't know. I mean, he'd seen him do the miracles. He'd seen all the things, but he was scared. And he's standing around this campfire. And there's a servant girl. I'll just kind of tell you this part. You can read the whole story earlier in the book of John. But there's a servant girl who's standing around the, the fire. It says it's cold that night. And they're standing around the fire. And she looks up and she goes, hey, don't I know you? 
Hey, that guy Jesus, who they just brought in earlier, there's a big ruckus. Aren't you one of his followers? Now, this bold Peter, who had just recently pulled a knife on an armed guard, looks at this servant girl and says, uh, I, don't, I don't know the guy. No, I'm not. One denial. A little while later, they're standing around the fire still, it says. And another guy looks up and says, no, nah, no, nah, I'm pretty sure I've seen you. I've, I've seen you with Jesus. You're, you're the loudmouth that's always talking when Jesus is around because that was Peter's reputation. He was a loudmouth. If he was in a crowd, people knew he was there. I can relate with the guy. And he goes, me? No, 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 not me. It wasn't me. I don't know the guy. Second denial. They're standing around the campfire, and a third person walks up. He goes, look at me. And then, wait a minute. No, no, you're... You're definitely that guy that follows Jesus. You know how I know? But my cousin, <laughs> my cousin is a guard, and he actually arrested Jesus tonight, and you cut his ear off. You know that story? See, when Peter pulled the knife on the guy, he actually cut the guy's ear off. What I love is that Jesus goes, Peter, put your sword away. Picks up the guy's ear, and like, super glues it back on with Jesus' magic. He does a miracle, heals the guy right on the spot. And so here, here you've got the cousin of this guy who had just had his ear cut off by Peter going, no, 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 I, I recognize your face anywhere. You are one of Jesus' disciples. And you know what Peter says? I do not know the man. And he runs off. Third denial, and it happened around a campfire. And the next day, Jesus was crucified. And, and all of his disciples mourned. I mean, they were upset, their friend, their leader. Their spiritual guide, he was, he was gone. But I think that none may have mourned and grieved as heavily as Peter. Because Peter's last conversation with Jesus basically involved him saying, yeah, I'm not going to deny you. And then three times. In his friend's greatest time of need, he split. So Jesus dies. He raises from the dead. But time has passed and Peter hasn't had a chance yet to make things right. To say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I love having the kids in here with us this morning. You guys with me? If, if you're one of the kids in the room, say, whoop, whoop. There you are. All right, cool. You guys are being so well behaved. And so I, I, I went back when I found out you were going to be in here this morning because this was a, a later change in this week. And I was like, man, I, I want to make sure we illustrate this clearly. So I got a video clip from one of my favorite movies. Remember the movie Finding Nemo? You guys love that movie? I was going to show a clip from Big Hero 6, but I was afraid some of you guys hadn't seen it yet. And I didn't want to spoil it for you because it's a pretty major moment in the movie. So you can say thank you for that. But we're going to watch this clip from the movie Finding Nemo. And it's a scene very similar where the dad from Finding Nemo is in a position very much like Peter's. Let's check this out. I, I live on this reef a long, long way from here. Oh, boy. This is going to be good. I can tell. And my son, Nemo, he was mad at me. And maybe he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been so tough on him. I don't know. Anyway, he swam out in the open water to this boat, and when he was out there, these divers appeared, and I, I tried to stop them, but, but the boat was too fast, so we swam out in the ocean to follow We couldn't stop him, and then Nemo's dad swims out to the ocean, and they bump into three ferocious sharks. He scares away the sharks by blowing them up. Golly, that's amazing. And then dives thousands of feet straight down into the dock. It's like wicked dock down there. You can't see a thing. How's it going, Bob? And the only thing I can see down there is a little this big, horrible creature with razor jump. Jeez, nice pantyhair, man. And then he has to blast his way out. Three little fish have been searching the ocean for days on the East Australian current. Prince that he may be on his way here right now. That 
Dutch film in Sydney Harbour in a matter of days. I mean, it sounds like this guy's going to stop at nothing. Nothing till he finds his son. I sure hope he makes it. There's one dedicated father, if you ask me. That last pelican said, man, it sounds like this guy's going to stop at nothing to find his son. And we've got Peter in a very similar boat, man. He's like, I, I got in this, this situation with Jesus. I ended up on the wrong side of him, and I never got to say I was sorry. So here we find Peter, and he has jumped out of the boat. He's wrapped his cloak around him, and he is swimming 100 yards. And that's a long way to swim, especially when you got your robe wrapped around you. And, and I, I wonder what he was thinking while he was swimming. You know, we don't really know. It doesn't say in the Bible. But I just wonder if he's, if he's playing over and over in his mind, like, what am I going to say to Jesus? Maybe he's got this speech picked out. Maybe he's just thinking, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. I don't know. I know what he's thinking. I wonder if he was crying. I wonder if in his mind he was just thinking, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just got to tell him I'm sorry. I don't know. But he swam and he swam and he swam. And he gets to the shore. And when he gets up there, I'm, I'm guessing that he got there a good deal before the rest of the guys. And Jesus has started a fire. I just imagine Jesus, I just think that Jesus is super cool. I just think he's probably like, what's up, Pete? And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, uh, I, I want to talk to you about something. And, and he's like, first, let's have breakfast. I think you guys may have caught some fish. <laughs> so they make fish and they eat breakfast and it's good. And then in verse 14, we find ourselves now around the second campfire, the second campfire conversation. It says, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So finally, this conversation is about to happen between Peter and Jesus that he's been waiting for for so long. And in verse 15, it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, I love how he starts the conversation. Simon, son of John. Guys, uh, kids especially, when your mom or your dad says your whole name, my name is Robert Christopher Woolard. Proud of it. I wasn't in second grade because my parents called me Chris and my teacher refused to call me Chris. She was like, your name is Robert. It's your given name. I, swear. I didn't even know how to spell Robert. I'm like, see? Um, but when your mama says your whole name, you know this is a serious conversation, right? This is what Jesus says. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, well, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says this time Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Come on, man, I already answered you twice. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. So Jesus says, Feed my sheep. I wonder if this is anything like what Peter imagined the conversation would be like. Probably not. It's a little bit weird. Last week I said I was at a summer camp. I was with about 70 elementary school kids. And it's funny because uh, it seemed like about every four and a half minutes I was breaking up some sort of argument or altercation. Something was happening. And these two little boys, it was always boys. I don't know why, but it was always boys. And they were in some kind of a shenanigans because 30 seconds before they had been best buddies but somebody says something and the wheels fell off something happened and now they're rolling on the ground in headlocks and i'm like stop what's going on and they had all these things they needed to say and they were talking he hit me he pushed me he took my deodorant why are you wearing deodorant i don't know it's a shaving cream what and so it's like it's weird i'm talking these kind of and then finally when we get them all settled down stop stop and they realize mr chris was talking to them now i don't know if you know 
But when I go dad, see, some people go bad. Like, I'm going to go bad on you. When I go dad on some kids, they're like, oh. <laughs> so I got these kids, and they look at me, and they're like, oh. What's crazy is they had a whole lot to say. But once they cooled down and they looked at me in the eyes, this is what happened over and over again. Head down, listening. I'd say what I needed to say, and this is what they said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Am I right? Totally happened, didn't it? <laughs> That's my son on the front row right there. Yeah, Haven was there too. Maybe Peter imagined some big conversation between him and Jesus. Lord, I, I'm sorry. I, I, maybe he had this big apology speech rehearsed and he was ready. I don't know. I don't know what he thought. But once he got in the presence of Jesus, it was a lot like this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, sir. Because he'd known what he did wrong. It had all settled in. There was no reason to explain himself. It was just a matter of standing there and taking his medicine. The first time he asked, do you love me more than these other guys? Which I think is a really interesting way Jesus asked that question. Did you catch that? Do you love me more than the rest of these? I wonder if Peter was like, Jesus, they're, they're right there. <laughs> but he's got to answer him. Yes, I love it. And that might be a weird thing to ask, but uh, I want to kind of put in perspective who Peter was. Remember, he was the loudmouth. He was the guy pulling knives on armed guards. He was the guy who a while earlier said, Jesus, I would rather die than leave you. He said these things. He's the first person in history who out loud that we have a record of said, I believe that you are the son of God. That's Peter. He's a bold dude. So if anybody, <laughs> I said dude, if anybody was going to be the one who loved Jesus more than the rest of these, it might have been Peter. I just imagine Jesus going, look, you, you talk a big game, Peter, but I need to know, do you really love me more than the rest of these guys? You know I love you. And he gives him. Three chances to say, yes, I love you. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Because how many times had he denied Jesus that night? Three. It was as if each time Jesus was saying, I want to make sure you know I saw what you did. I know I'm Jesus. Two or the third time, he said, man, Peter was hurt when Jesus asked the third time. Because you know all things. And you know that I love you. Three times he asked him the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter said, yes. But as a more and more humble man, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I, I want to get to these three responses. He says, okay, if you love me, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. He says these three things. And we're not sheep people here in Wilmington. Like we don't have like, has anybody got a sheep? I'm curious. That'd be awesome. I want to come see it. Yeah. So no, we don't have sheep here. You probably don't know much about sheep. But Jesus many times had referred to sheep and shepherding in all his teaching. And so the, the disciples, when they heard him say something about sheep, they immediately got it. There's no question in my mind that Peter would have picked up on what Jesus was laying down. Because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he referred to the people who were lost in the world as sheep. And he said, I am the good shepherd. And people hear my voice and they come to me. And so he talks about being the good shepherd. And he looks at Peter and he said, listen, if you love me, take care of my sheep. The people in the world continue to spread my love. If you love me, that's what I need from you. Peter, the reason I died on the cross and rose from the dead was to provide forgiveness for people. So of course I forgive you. That's not even a question. And I know that you're sorry. But my question is, do you love me? Because if you really love me, I got a job for you. Lead people to me. So they can find forgiveness. Go feed my sheep. It's clear that Jesus had a task 
for Peter. But not the old Peter, not the pre-resurrection Peter, not the Peter who was pulling knives on armed guards. But for this this new guy, the post-resurrection Peter. The Peter who understood what it meant to fail and then have to pick himself back up. The humbled Peter. Jesus was calling Peter to wipe the dust off of his failure, off of the dust of his failure off of him, and remember who first drew him to God. The love of Jesus. Love. So we've got this conversation that's happening around a campfire. And it's pretty serious, but it's the kind of thing that can happen while you're sitting around a campfire. Jesus moves on in verse 18 to one final thing. And this is pretty heavy, so you know, hold on to your seat. This is crazy. Verse 18. But very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, he's talking to Peter, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Man. And then he says this. I want you to not forget this last sentence. Then he said to him, follow me. He says, Peter and Jesus have, made, have had this important conversation. Jesus wants Peter to know that not only does he forgive Peter for his failure, of course I forgive you, but I've got a plan for you. If you know the rest of Peter's story, you know that he would eventually give his own life uh, in proclaiming the message of Jesus to the world, feeding the sheep. Jesus' prediction of him would come true. Uh, church tradition holds that Peter was actually crucified like Jesus was, except he, he, he asked to be crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. Man, that's, that's crazy. He had his arms spread out and someone took him where he did not want to go. And all that happened, but... What I really want to focus on are the last two words of what Jesus says. Can we go back to that verse, verse uh, 19? Jesus said to him, follow me. Do you love me? Then follow me. If you love me, then follow me. See, Peter had done wrong and he knew it. There was no question about that. Once he saw Jesus risen from the dead, there could be no doubt that everything else Jesus had said was true and was going to happen. He was the Son of God. He could forgive sins. That he did actually open a path between God and man. Like that was Jesus' role. And when Jesus saw, when Peter saw Jesus risen from the dead, he knew that for sure. And he understood this. But there was still something that stood in his way. Guys, I want you to hear this. This is for the kids. This is for everybody. One thing that often stands in the way between us and where God wants us because he loves us is this big, ugly, heavy thing. You know what it's called? Guilt. Guilt. Peter knew that Jesus was there to bring forgiveness and and, and to connect people with God, but there was this thing burdening him, weighing on him, and it was guilt. He was guilty of denying Jesus. He was guilty of losing faith. He was guilty of walking out on Jesus at the the heaviest time of need. Guilt is a prison. Anybody ever been there? It's a prison. You're trapped inside of it. And if you're guilty, uh, like, like an offense against another person, there's a broken relationship. If it's an offense and you're guilty for breaking like a law, there's punishment to pay. You might go to jail. You might have to pay a fine. And if you're guilty for sinning against God, it's a prison that you can't break out of. And there's only one solution. That God forgives you. It's the only way out of that prison. It's a heavy burden to bear. I had just finished teaching a lesson at camp last week. And uh, the lesson was pretty simple. It was for the elementary age kids, like I said. And here was the lesson in, in a sentence that God is good and he created us to do good. 
right? It's a pretty good, easy lesson. I think we could all learn that. Really, write that down and just go home. Like, God is good. He created us to do good. But the craziest thing happened when I got off the stage. Uh, they were going to do some more songs. And I, an unexpected thing happened. There was a little girl in the front row. She was probably seven or eight years old. And she was crying. And I was like, man, I didn't say anything to make anybody cry. Like, I didn't even tell any sad stories or anything. So I just, I just sat down next to her. I said, hey, you okay? And she said, no. And she's crying. I was like, well, let's go outside and talk. And I got another of the female staff members. I said, let's talk. You know what happened? I talked about God is good. And he created us to do good. And she was crying because she said, I remembered while you were talking that today I did something bad. And it, and it disappointed God. And it makes me sad to disappoint God. Wow. So I sat with her for a minute, a little blown away. I'm like, wow, that's not what my goal was. I wasn't trying to make you cry right now. I was just trying to tell you that God is good and he wants you to do good. We found out that what she had done was she had broken in line uh, in a game earlier. The end. End of story. That's what she had done. She'd broken in line. It wasn't her turn. But you know what? She knew that what she did was, was cheating. She knew that. She was a good girl and she knew. Now, on the one hand, we want to give her a pass and be like, oh man, poor thing, and pat her on the back. And we did. It's okay. It's not a big deal. But on the other, thing, on the other hand, she realized something. Man, guilt is heavy. Like, good for her. She realized she had done something wrong and she wasn't okay with that. Guilt is a prison and it's heavy. And it should be. Of course, this little girl didn't do anything bad at all and we talked to her about god's forgiveness and and we prayed with her and it, and it was all good and she had a much better week but i wonder if we went to something heavier like what are, what are you guilty of guilty against a person guilty against a law guilty against sinning against god like what burden do you carry is it heavy maybe it's an offense of the law and, you, and you're hiding from something maybe you're just dealing with the consequences maybe you have already fessed up and you're just doing what's right Listen, uh, I don't know if, you've, if, if this is your first time here. I mean, most of you come here often and, and, and all the time. And you know that I'm not a, a fire and brimstone preacher. Like, it's not my goal to get up here and make everybody feel this small and terrible about their life. But can we just talk about guilt for a second? My goal is not to make you feel guilty. Because guilt is not, uh, f- feelings are fickle. Like, if we w- went through life just based on how we feel all the time, like, this, it would be a crazy world. In fact, that's why it's a crazy world. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want to make us aware of guilt like yes there is forgiveness and there's a place to go with that but we need to be aware of it and it's not something that we just slouch just slouch off we don't have to stay under the weight of guilt see here's what peter understood if i could get to jesus he could give me the one thing that would free me from this prison of guilt and it is this forgiveness forgiveness peter jumps out of the boat and he swims he's tired he is he is wet (laughs) and he is humbled and he crawls up onto the sand at the beach at the campfire and he says i'm sorry and jesus said i forgive you you know jesus talks about forgiveness and one time when he's talking about it he compares it to a guy who owed a lot of money to somebody else like a debt He said forgiveness is like having a large debt forgiven. Like you guys have debt probably. I mean, we all have some level of debt. Maybe you've got a school loan, thousands of dollars maybe hanging over your head, a mortgage, 
a car payment, and you're stuck under this debt. And what if one day the school loan company called you or the government called you and the tax people called you or somebody called you and your friend that you borrowed money from, they called you and they said, hey, listen, um, really appreciate the payments you've given and uh, I've decided that's good enough. You're close enough. You don't owe me anything else. Like, how would that feel? Think about the, the put the number in your head because we all have a number. What's the number of financial debt you have right now? What if that number just went, poof? Yeah, you guys just started floating in your chair right now. Like, it's like, that's what forgiveness is guys god says you have guilt and it's heavy and it's real but if you come to me i can make that go away peter comes to jesus wet tired and burdened and he just wants to make things right and what does jesus ask him he didn't ask him all right well how many times you plan on going to church this month i didn't know ballpark this year, how much money are you going to give to, to the church or a, 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 a non-profit in town? Like how much money? Really, let's, let's get a figure. Let's just write it down. How many good things, how many old ladies are you going to help across the street? We just need to know how many good things you're going to do. No, what does he ask Peter? What does he ask him? Do you love me? Do you love me because you've got some guilt in your life, but I can, I can take that away. My question is, do you love me? But forgiveness isn't the end. It might be that today, it, that's, that's the end for you. Maybe, maybe you, today's your first time in, in church in a long time. Maybe like the, the kid that Aaron talked about at camp, uh, you, you just feel this thing like, wow, there's another way. And maybe right now, all you need to decide is like, what does it mean to love Jesus? Do you love me? You're like, I don't know. Maybe I'd like to learn. Can I encourage you to do something? Come back. Come back to church. Come back to church for, for four more weeks. Give it a month. Learn more about the love of Jesus. In fact, if you came with a friend, ask that person, like, hey, you go to church, like, do you know much about loving Jesus? Can you tell me about that? Learn about the love of Jesus. Maybe, maybe that's the beginning step for you. Learn about, because Jesus looks at you across from the campfire and he says, do you love me? I know you did wrong. Like, that's a given. We all, we've all messed up. What I want to know is, do you love me? But it doesn't end there. Yesterday I was, uh, I was got to go to Southport. I mentioned it earlier, uh, but I got to go to uh, a naturalization ceremony for, uh, I think it was 126, 129 uh, people from foreign countries who had be- come to pledge their allegiance to America. They'd gone through the process. They'd taken the class. They, they were there to take the oath. People from 56 different countries. It was so awesome to get to see that civic thing happen. And, and, and I, I heard a guy this week talking about that ceremony. He said, you know, it's really cool to have, uh, to be around people who still think America is a good place, right? And I think kinda, we, we kind of get to a place where we, we start to bash things the way they are. But like, really? It's still an amazing place. And there was a guy who spoke, and he did an amazing job outlining what it means to be American. And he said, America is not a place, it's an idea. Think about that. That's deep. But then as he talked, he, he said, listen, you guys who are about to become American citizens, I want you to understand that citizenship comes with an amazing thing called freedom. But freedom isn't free. And of course, what he meant there was the thing that I think we all could understand, like there are wars fought over it and there are people still fighting for freedom and democracy and things like that. Freedom isn't free, but the thing he followed up with was huge. It was freedom comes with responsibility. And I think that's true in being American, but I think it couldn't be any more true when we learn what it means to love Jesus. He gives us freedom, but freedom comes with responsibility. What does he tell Peter? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. 
Go into the world and tell people about my love. Shine my light into the darkest corners. Don't sit with your freedom and your, and, and your lack of guilt in your little recliner in your living room and be like, woo, life is good. Go outside of your house and tell your neighbor. Get involved in loving other people so they can look at you and go, what are you doing? And you can go, man, I love Jesus. And I don't know if that's where you are today. Maybe you still need to take a step back and learn what it really means to, to love Jesus. But I know a lot of us in this room right now are like, yes, I, I do love Jesus. He says, feed my sheep. Now, there are specific tasks that a lot of us have. I think that all of us have a specific task. For Peter, it was this crazy uh, calling to go and eventually give his life feeding sheep. That was his specific task, and, and not all of us are called to that specific task. And I don't know what yours is. It's actually the cool part of the Christian life is getting to figure that out and getting to figure out what it is God wants me to do today and tomorrow and for the rest of my life. And that's part of the journey. But what he doesn't say is just sit there and do nothing. He says it like this. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then the last two words that he gives to Peter. Follow me. I want to put up this last slide. The first thing happens is forgiveness, but the second thing is responsibility. And I'm curious, as you leave this room, what is your responsibility? What is the thing that God may be laying in your heart right now? And, 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 and really, the responsibility you might have right now is simple. I just need to learn more about God. Like, I don't know what <laughs> to do other than that. That's a good place to be. But a lot of us have grown up in church our whole life. Man, let's get out of our seats and let's go love our neighbors. Let's not wait for the church to organize a thing where we can invite our friends to. But instead, let's put a couple steaks on the grill and invite our friends from work over just to share life with them so they can see the light of God in our life. With forgiveness comes responsibility. It's only in forgiveness from Jesus that we can find purpose. And I think so many of us look for purpose in our life. And I think our purpose is to follow him. Like, like Aaron said earlier, worship or worthship, assigning worth to God by our actions. God used Peter to change the world. He becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the first pastor of a church. That's, that's Peter. And then his role in sending people out into the rest of the world cannot be, you cannot overestimate how important that was. Through Peter, God was able to change the world. But you know what? He can change the world through you too. The world that you have influence on, your sphere of influence, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. That's what God specializes in. Is using us, broken people in need of forgiveness, to go out and change the world. But he doesn't need the you that's talking a big game. He doesn't need the you who's pulling knives and on armed guards. Or let me just say this making like big, bold, brash statements on Facebook just to make sure everybody knows that you've got a bad attitude. You know? Maybe I'm calling you out. Make I'm, maybe I'm making a generalization. God's not calling for our arrogant, cocky self to go to the world and be like, i got to figure it out. Everybody come get on my pedestal with me because it's tall and I brought a ladder. No, what he wants from us is our wet, tired, swimming self who realizes the height from which we've fallen, and comes to Jesus around the campfire and says, I love you, and I'm ready to follow you. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Can I pray for you this morning? Lord, we just ask this morning that you give us the opportunity to 
love you uh, by clearing the clutter from our hearts. And I know that everyone in this room is in a different place, you know, whether spiritually or relationally or financially or, uh, you know, just whatever. And all these things, they're, they're this burden that the only, guilt is not the only burden that we carry. We carry a lot of burdens. And what's awesome is that you tell us, come when we're weary and we're heavy laden and come and lay our burdens at your feet and you'll give us rest. So Lord, I pray that we can do that today, that in this moment we can take, whether it's our guilt or it's just our stress, and we can lay it at your feet and we can say, Lord, we, we just want to follow. Lord, I pray for people in this room this morning who might just be here with a friend or here on vacation or just stumbled in because there was a sign outside and we want to check out what's going on in this room today, Lord, that maybe this talk was just an encouraging thing for them to be like, wait, a dude rose from the dead or someone did miracles or what? There's forgiveness for my mistakes? Help us to be a community of people that can always be accepting and inviting of everyone who has those burdens. And we can all carry them together as we carry them to your feet. And then from that place, Lord, may we stand up and live out the responsibility of loving. Carrying your light into the world, telling people about your love. (laughs) Doing good things even if it means don't break in line (laughs) when it's not your turn. Uh, But that we can just love you and live better for you every day. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' powerful name.